0: You've reached the only way is ethics, how can I help you? Is it okay to test makeup on animals? Should we pay for Are celebs allowed to promote diet products? Are the Kardashians feminists? Is it fair that I watch trash TV? is ethics. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode. If you didn't, why are you here? (laughs) Um, But on this week's episode, we're going to look at something else exciting. We're going to look at the ethics of surrogacy. Now, you can criticise the Kardashians for many things. Their promotion of diet products, their dishonesty about cosmetic enhancements, or maybe just the general way in which they made and retained their fame. You could also praise them for many things too. Kim Kardashian's fight to release people from prison who have been given maybe overlong sentences for non-violent drug offences. Courtney's lobbying to reduce harmful chemicals in products. And perhaps you think of them as role models for female entrepreneurship. I'm not a massive Kardashians watcher and this podcast won't be asking whether we should idolise or villainise the Kardashian family. Instead, we're going to be looking at one particular choice that Kim has made that is more philosophically controversial than you might think. This is her choice to use a surrogate to have her latest two children, Chicago and Psalm. Side note here, I was pronouncing Psalm as Palm, well, up until a year ago, so... You learn things every day. But really, you ask, of all the things the Kardashians have done over the years, this is the controversy we're going to look at? Yes, yes it is, because I make the rules around here. For those that don't know me, I did a philosophy and politics degree at university. One of the best modules I took was a gender and political theory module, because we explored issues that were debated within feminism not just between feminists and, well, chauvinists. Before I started my gender theory module, I didn't think there was anything controversial about surrogacy. Some people naturally couldn't give birth. Some people were willing to provide this service either for a fee or altruistically. Problem solved. However, it soon became clear to me that this is a topic on which many feminist theorists disagree. Let's start at the beginning. What is surrogacy? There are a few types of surrogacy. Firstly, we have genetic and gestational surrogacy. Genetic surrogacy is where the surrogate provides the egg, making her biologically related to the child. Gestational surrogacy is where the surrogate is used to carry the baby, but the egg comes either from the commissioning mother or from a separate egg donor. Just a side note, I'm going to refer to commissioning parents, which I know is a bit of a strange term, but it's kind of just the term that gets used. Then we also have the altruistic commercial distinction. Altruistic surrogacy usually involves an arrangement with a member of the woman's family or a close friend, because this form of surrogacy is done for free. Commercial surrogacy, on the other hand, is more of a profession, a vocation that comes with a wage. Best believe Kim K. surrogate was paid a healthy sum for her work but this is partly due to California state laws allowing people to be paid for surrogacy services. In many states in the US and countries such as the UK, all surrogacy must be altruistic. It can't come with a wage. In this episode, we're going to look at surrogacy in general, but we're going to focus on the more controversial of these two options, commercial surrogacy. We will definitely touch on the current realities of surrogacy processes, However ultimately because this is a philosophy focused episode we're going to be asking whether there is something intrinsically morally wrong about commercial surrogacy. To do so we're going to consider three objections to commercial surrogacy. Objection number one, adoption as alternative. The crux of this objection is the fact that there is a huge number of children who are in need of adoptive parents and, if we are capable with limited costs to alleviate suffering in others, we should. This means that we should try and adopt as many children who need a home as possible. There are many high-profile celebrities that have chosen to adopt. Brangelina, Viola Davis and Ty Burrell amongst many others. Isn't Kim Kardashian in a unique position to provide multiple children who need homes with a family unit? Shouldn't this take priority over having more biological children? Firstly, there's the obvious problem of if we told people who were looking to have children through surrogacy, they should instead choose adoption. Wouldn't we have to also extend this to anyone looking to have children in the traditional manner? Secondly, Can we really say that adoption, even for celebrities with plenty of resources and access to support, involves limited cost? I think it would be unwise and unfair to do that. People shouldn't just walk lightly into adoption. There is a reason people have to get approved to become adopted parents. But maybe you still think that where possible, people struggling to naturally have kids should do anything they can do to minimise the suffering in the world especially with the problems we're seeing with overpopulation. And that given the way of the world today, adoption should take priority over surrogacy. You could certainly hold this view, and validly so. Yet, I don't think this argument in and of itself would make surrogacy intrinsically wrong. There are substantially more potential adoptive parents in the world than children who need adopting. So even if the likes of Kim Kardashian adopted all of the children looking for homes, there would still be a large portion of people looking for a solution to having children. So, at least in my mind, the issue of adoption hasn't yet pointed to an inherent problem with surrogacy itself. But maybe our next argument will. Objection number two, commercialisation is corrupting. Now, this particular argument is going to focus on the commercial element of surrogacy. Does commercialising reproduction corrupt the nature of pregnancy? This is the belief of Michael Sandel, philosopher and Harvard professor. If you get the chance, I highly recommend watching his Justice lectures on YouTube, especially now we're in lockdown. Whether you agree with his arguments or not, his lectures are fascinating and super accessible to all levels. At the heart of the argument from corruption is the term baby-selling. This is both a legal and a moral argument. We don't allow a system of buying adoptive children. Should we allow money to be exchanged in surrogacy procedures? As previously mentioned, some states have in fact decided they won't legally allow it. In Kim Kardashian's home state of California, commercial surrogacy is permitted. Legalities aside, Just because something may be deemed legal doesn't necessarily make it moral and vice versa. Just think of certain business loopholes that are perfectly legal but very morally questionable. So we come back to our question, does paying a surrogate corrupt the nature of pregnancy? Michael Sandel believes it does because as he puts it, it treats women's bodies like factories, creating a product. He doesn't think children should be considered products or women's bodies considered factories. Does that seem like an accurate description to you? I'll pipe up here with some of my personal views on the matter. Not something I'll tend to do a lot on this podcast because I think philosophy should be open to debate and you are more than welcome to disagree with me. But I want to throw my two cents in for a bit, especially because I came up with the following comparison all on my own. And believe me, an original thought during a politics and philosophy degree is rare, very rare. I personally think that Sandow is missing the point slightly. I find his comment misleading because it assumes that traditional pregnancy is not in any way like a factory. Now, I am 22. I am not looking to have kids anytime soon, but at some point in the future, I probably would like to have some. However, (laughs) I do not in any way, shape or form look forward to being pregnant. I just don't. The idea of something growing inside me weirds me out. I don't like the idea of carrying around all that extra weight. And don't get me started on the childbirth itself. I give people who choose natural births full respect, but if I ever find myself giving birth, best believe it will be on all the available drugs. My point is, we run the risk of over-romanticising pregnancy in a way that is neither accurate nor helpful, and we have nice historical case studies to compare this to. In the 70s, Silvia Federici wrote Wages Against Housework. It begins with this epitaph. They say it is love, we say it is unwaged work. They call it frigidity, we call it absenteeism. Every miscarriage is a work accident. Homosexuality and heterosexuality are both working conditions, but homosexuality is workers' control of production, not the end of work. More smiles, more money. Nothing will be so powerful in destroying the healing virtues of a smile neurosis suicides desexualization all occupational diseases of the housewife what she is trying to say here is that housework was and still is to a large degree treated as something that is done primarily by women out of the kindness of their hearts because it's something they want to do and take pride in Federici calls BS on this. She argues, and I fully agree, that the reason housework isn't recognised as work, despite the name, is because it doesn't come with a wage. I don't mean some compensation through having a spouse with an income. I mean a direct wage for housework itself. In the same way women have never taken some sort of universal vote to appoint themselves the houseworkers. They also haven't chosen to be the ones to bear children. And I think oftentimes we assume that women are fine with things being the way they are. That pregnancy is a gift. And I know a lot of women would identify with this sentiment. But many don't. Me included. Pregnancy for many is not smooth sailing. And as with other forms of labour such as housekeeping, the joy at the product, the clean house, or in this case the baby, does not eliminate the effort, the hours and the difficulties endured. Pregnancy carries risks such as pre-postnatal depression, morning sickness and financial dependency. Yet unlike other forms of labour these aren't compensated for. Commercial surrogates are paid exactly because there is a recognition of labour performed. To go down a little side note I really disagree with people who find the idea of push presents indulgent. For those of you who don't know what a push present is It's a gift usually bought by a woman's partner that she gets given for giving birth. I know some people find it ridiculous. I think in part because it's usually celebrities like Kim Kardashian who get given these luxury presents. I might find the present itself a little obscene. But then I find the fact that anyone can afford some of the things the Kardashians buy obscene. But I don't have an issue with the practice in general. Except that I don't think we should think of push presents as presents. Kim Kardashian once talked about pregnancy and the idea of a push present, saying, after nine months of pregnancy, it's a sweet and well-deserved thank you. I don't personally think it should be a thank you so much as a, here, this is going towards what I owe you for doing this incredibly hard job of growing an actual child. I think commercial surrogacy is a recognition that reproductive work isn't just an expression of our nature as women, and it challenges stereotypes of women being complicit gift givers. providing a wage. Refusing to pay women for this labour seems as backwards as assuming all housewives are happy to cook and clean dutifully. Or is there something I haven't taken into account? I'm not saying that there aren't some women that are perfectly happy to be altruistic surrogates and that's totally fine. I just think that we need to get our heads around the idea that reproductive labour is labour and if it comes with a wage that should be respected. But I repeat, feel free to disagree with that statement. This brings us to objection number three, surrogacy as a practice that reinforces stereotypes. Deborah Sats is going to come at us with a slightly different angle. She is not a fan of surrogacy to say the least. Similarly to Sandel, Sats thinks surrogacy turns women's bodies into factories, but not because of payment. SATS's issue with surrogacy is its treatment of non-genetic mothers. To explain, you need to first know that custody cases surrounding surrogacy can get very, very complicated. Sometimes surrogates do decide that they don't want to give up custody of the child. It has been the case that surrogates who were the biological parent were awarded custody, whereas purely gestational surrogates weren't awarded any custody at all. Sats believes this attitude reinforces ideas of women as just incubators or factories because it doesn't recognise the gestational element of motherhood, the factors beyond just biology. In other words, once the product, the child, leaves the factory, the surrogate's body, it then goes to its owner, the commissioning parents. Interestingly, the opposite is actually true in the UK where surrogates are always assumed by law to be the mother until documentation is signed post-birth, even if they are not the biological parent. Now, you might see this as actually being problematic. On the face of it, it may seem like a nice recognition of a surrogate's gestational contribution, but when you dig down into it, doesn't it feel more like an extension of the assumption that women are inherently maternal? Take the case of abortion, for instance, a subject that we'll definitely come back to in a second because it will become important again. Remember, a man can, if not easily, then at least simply (laughs) choose not to be a father critically from the moment of conception by just walking away, whereas women can't. Consequently, women are often seen as callous and unwomanly if they wish to end their involvement at the same time as the man would, as they have to end gestation and physically remove themselves from the fetus. I personally agree with Sats that crucial to surrogacy's function in the real world is that we have to have very comprehensive legislation that is fair to all parties. But I think this legislation has to acknowledge the autonomy of surrogates, meaning it doesn't assume they to be the mothers if that's not how they feel. But how on earth would this work? It sounds like a complete mess. Yeah, can you imagine the uproar if Kim Kardashian's surrogate decided she wasn't comfortable handing over custody, the media craze that would ensue? Well, that would be a bit messy but maybe only because of the way we currently think about surrogacy. The first mistake we might make is to treat the commissioning parents as monsters in cases of custody disagreements. A lot of anti-surrogacy theorists describe situations of baby snatching, where surrogates are forced to give up babies to monstrous commissioning parents. Whilst I totally understand the emotions that revolve around childbirth and the complications of then changing your mind about giving up the child, most people who hire surrogates are just that, people, who for whatever reason can't have a child themselves and I for one can have the utmost sympathy for these people whose hope for a child suddenly seems to be thrown away. The second mistake that is sometimes made is to allow custody to the paternal father and the maternal mother but not the commissioning mother or second commissioning father in cases of gay couples. Imagine Kanye West being granted custody to some, but not Kim. Seems pretty backwards. So, solutions? I think in all cases of surrogacy, there should be provisions put in place to handle custody issues in the same way as something like an open adoption. This would assume the commissioning parents to be the intended parents, i.e. the parents who are going to have most of the custody of the child. This is as much to benefit the surrogate as anyone else, because can you imagine having a case where suddenly the commissioning parents decide they don't want to look after the child anymore upon birth? But it would also be open to allowing parental rights to the surrogate. In a similar way, that open adoption means that the birth mother can still have access to the child and be there in a secondary role within their life. Think about the way the world works today. We have loads of unconventional families, stepfathers, stepmothers, half-sisters, half-brothers. It's not that unusual to think about having a third parental role figure in that child's life. And in the case of these sort of custody arrangements in surrogacy, unlike step-parents, you'd have three parents who actively wanted to be in that child's life and made a very active decision, which I think counts for a lot. As of the debate on whether gestational and genetic surrogacy should be treated the same, so whether we should allow genetic surrogates and gestational surrogates the same amount of custody rights, I think this solution would respect the bond created by gestation while still recognising a commonly held assumption that genetic ties do mean something. In this way, the level of openness might reflect this, with more frequent contact being granted to a genetic mother. But this is something that could be worked out by legal experts much, much more qualified than me. Where I think there is more of a legitimate worry is in the debate over bodily rights and where surrogacy fits into all of this. Especially for philosophers, this is more of an inherent debate that we'll have to look at. If you're a feminist, chances are you're pro-choice. I might actually at some point take on the question of whether there are concrete requirements to feminism. And personally, if I were to answer, I would probably put being pro-choice in amongst those requirements. So, let's take it as a given that we want women to have rights over their own bodies. Surrogacy does complicate this. What if at some point the surrogate decides she would like to have an abortion? Would it be moral to stop this from happening? Forcing someone not to have an abortion sounds like the kind of thing liberal society is moving rightly away from. But does the added element of carrying a child for someone else change things? Some people might feel less comfortable about allowing abortion in cases of gestational surrogacy. If both biological parents don't want to abort the foetus, it does seem a bit wrong to abort anyway, doesn't it? But as Sats would say, would this just treat the surrogate as some sort of incubator and not a person? Whatever your eventual conclusions on abortion in surrogacy are, I think it's very important to remember that in normal cases of abortion, the woman is entitled to her choice regardless of what the man involved wants. If you couldn't tell, I think I'm in favour of allowing commercial surrogacy, certainly in an academic sense. Do I think current surrogacy law is good enough to manage all the ins and outs of commercial surrogacy? No, definitely not. But this doesn't mean that I think there's an inherent problem with it. But I could be wrong, and I would love for you to point something out that I haven't spotted. And there are definitely many arguments against surrogacy that we haven't yet touched on. And we haven't even discussed the question of who should have access to surrogacy, which is a whole nother problem in and of itself. Crucially, if we do decide we're not opposed to commercial surrogacy, I think it's non-negotiable that it would be open to single parents, homosexual couples, as well as infertile couples or those who would have high-risk pregnancies. But I'm not sure if it should be an option for people like Kim Kardashian who already had kids, or people like me who have no biological reason why they can't have a kid the quote-unquote normal way. As much as this moment in time I'm pretty unkeen on the idea of being pregnant, I'm just not sure, would it create some sort of market where the wealthy levels of society pass on reproductive labour to others? Is this even an inherently bad thing? Would this be that dissimilar to the economic class structure we already have in place? Hmm, that sounds like something to revisit in a later episode in the series. Until next time folks, goodbye!